Welcome back to The Pass. This is Dating Ourselves, the podcast that talks everything 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Brian and Paul. Hello. Hey, guys. Episode 19, period. That it? Yeah, um, I don't know. I'm sure I'll think of something clever later. <laughs> we can fix this in post. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't hold my breath on that. <laughs> <laughs> So we went a little out of order last week, and we hung out with our old pal Greg D to discuss the grossest tops collection of all time, the Garbage Pail Kids. If you missed it, you can find that and all of our past episodes at datingourselvespodcast.com, on iTunes, Google Music, and at the end of the episode, I'll reveal a new way in which you can find it. Ooh, I'm excited. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. scared. <laughs> <laughs> We really appreciate our listeners' support, and we'd like to share some kind words left by one of those listeners on iTunes about our show. If you'd like to leave us a five-star written review on iTunes, we would definitely love to read it on air as a way to say thanks. Absolutely. So here is our five-star review of the week from It's Me, Charlie. It says, what an awesome idea. Love it. Straight to the point. I like it. Yeah, so thank very, you, It's Me, Charlie. Yeah, very succinct. So, yeah, so thank you again. Five-star reviews are always encouraged. And uh, definitely be sure to share dating ourselves with your friends. We love to make everybody smile in the name of nostalgia. Absolutely. Well, let's get this started. This week, I'm getting us back on track talking about Star Fox, Ooh, which was submitted by... Nice. Sorry. Which was submitted by Robert J. of Grand Rapids, Michigan. I know that place. I used to live there. I did, that's too. Cool. <laughs> I Whoa, that's still crazy. do. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to sound so dejected about it. <laughs> have you been there? <laughs> well, I, I recent, once, recent I news. There's a in... carriage house on Fulton. <laughs> a carriage house <laughs> well well recent news from grand rapids i hear that it is no longer the holder of the title beer city usa that is oh, true that's disappointing we, yeah. we Who got took cocky, it from us? we got lazy and i believe we gave it up to st louis st louis all right everyone from grand rapids assemble in st louis we're gonna fight them <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll We're be have a rumble. <laughs> Isn't the true but, title still held by Milwaukee, though? Probably, probably. Um, I mean, they are the Brewers, I'm after sure, all. I'm, I'm sure it is, but they also make like basically a step above water. So you know, it's true. Like I, Milwaukee's best light. Come on, let's be honest. Isn't that all a subsidiary of Anheuser Busch, though? Like, don't they pretty much make everything that's considered an American lager? Probably. I mean, I, thought, I wouldn't drink any of it, but... Yeah, I thought I thought Miller was based in Milwaukee and Anheuser was down in St. Louis. Oh, oh. that could be. Oh, but I think, yeah, they're, yeah, owned, but I think they're owned by, like, the Russians now or something, or the Belgians, or I don't know. <laughs> they're actually owned by the Martians. <laughs> well, on a quick subject change, Brian, how was Disney? <laughs> <laughs> I was just recently in Disney World. It was beautiful. Yeah, we got to stay near uh, uh, some safaris for the Animal Kingdom. That was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so I saw you also got to see uh, Avatar. That looked pretty cool. Yeah, I got to see all the, the new Avatar, Avatar characters. We did a day in Universal. I got to meet Homer and Bart. That was pretty cool. Um, nice. Of the Simpsons variety, not like, um, you know. <laughs> Homer, <laughs> ancient... the Greek philosopher. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> 
or the re- Greek writer, I guess. I yeah, yeah, the, uh, the the epic writer. Uh, the so, ep- his do they have a recreation epic. of their house? Um, I don't think that they did. They had Krusty Land. They had um, like most tavern. They had the Quickie Mart. They had a bunch of different stuff there, but I don't remember their house being there. I'm pretty sure they have a like a model of their house somewhere that you can go into, but I don't know, remember if it was at Disney. It might be maybe Disneyland or something. Well, this is at Universal, but it could have been. Uh, it could be at Universal Hollywood. So I know that uh, in the post Who Shot Mr. Burns era, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Fox did a giveaway where they built a recreation of the Simpsons house. Mm. Oh yeah. Yep, and uh, then they gave it away to a super fan. That's that's amazing. pretty awesome. Could you imagine being enough of a fan of a TV show that you uproot your whole life because you were given a house? <laughs> Sadly, back in the '90s when The Simpsons was in its heyday, even though I was only like probably eight or nine or whatever, I would have done it. I would have uprooted <laughs> my entire life just to live in The Simpsons house. <laughs> Ah. Yes, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Nostalgia sigh. Yeah. <laughs> well, just as a quick reminder to everybody out there in podcast land, we are going to be picking next week's topic at the end of this episode uh, through a format we call Nostalgia Combat. Nostalgia Combat! That's right. So it's going to be me with Bill Nye the Science Guy and Adam with the whole damn 1992 Dream Team. Yeah, beat that, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) You can't touch us. Uh, That would be a pretty impressive matchup. I think so, too. I think so, too. I I think Bill Nye would be able to take him just because he would, like, use physics on his side he'd be like calculating the precise angle in which he needed to loft the shot from like 70 feet away but the dream team defy physics that's true that's a good point that's right i mean michael jordan did once uh make a dunk from half court who's that although although to be (laughs) fair to be fair he had to stretch his arm out like you know, about 40 or 50 feet, but he still made it. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't remember Michael Jordan being an NBA jam. I thought he was left out, but because <laughs> you could definitely do the hell. also called there. on Bill he Murray def- to save the day, he- though, as I recall. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Bill Murray, the man of the common people. He right. wins. <laughs> so um, as an additional reminder, as I've been so politely interrupted, <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, we're also going to be visiting our old friend, the Hopper of Imagination, to get Paul a topic as well. Get to the Hopper! <laughs> get down, get in the Hopper! And also, as promised, episode, it's 19 o'clock on a Saturday. The regular crowd <laughs> shuffles in. <laughs> I told you guys I would deliver. Delivering the goods. You might want to keep that one to yourself in the future, Brian. (laughs) Well, Paul, I think we've uh, derailed this discussion enough. Why don't we start? Wow, we're already eight minutes in. Um, (laughs) Let's uh, let's talk about Star Fox. So, uh, in an effort to get back on the rails, Star Fox is a shooter on rails developed by Nintendo, introducing the world segue. to Star Wolf. Star Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Star Fox entered the world of Star Wars. <laughs> well, Star Wolf was the is a mercenary crew hired to combat Andros. Andros and his team of evil flying monkeys, for lack of a better term, that I can recall from the video games. 
In yeah, fact, Andros was just a head from all I remember, head and floating hands. Well, and didn't, didn't he do all the like the painting shows on PBS as well? Yes, you're right. Oh, that, that's Bob Ross. Sorry. <laughs> Happy little trees. Happy, Happy little trees. As opposed to evil flying monkeys. That's right. <laughs> I, I prefer evil flying monkeys more than happy trees. <laughs> Did you guys know that they were mercenaries? I had completely missed that in the storyline of the video game. I don't remember that. I always thought they were like... Service members of some sort because yeah, like, they reported yeah, to like, a general. See, yeah, like I was always Force. of the assumption, kind of tying it back to your Freudian slip, that it was just like the last scene of Star Wars A New Hope where you're just in an equivalent of an X-Wing trying to blow up stuff in space. I guess I never even realized there was a story other than just like you're flying For in space. shame, sir. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> as, lo- as long as you're not the pilot that always dies in every movie. Wedge? <laughs> Wedge, yes. Wedge Antilles, yep. That would be Slippy in the Star Fox universe. It's <laughs> a fitting name. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, the Star Wolf mercenary crew is headed by Fox McCloud, also known as Star Fox, uh, featuring crew Falco Lombardi, who was a falcon, Mm-hmm. Uh, Slippy Toad, who is a toad. <laughs> uh, Peppy Hare, who is a hare. <laughs> Boy, they really racked their brains on these ones, didn't they? It kind of goes back to that whole thing we've talked about many times, that when it's targeted towards children, make it look like what it is, or make it look like what it sounds like. <laughs> yep, <laughs> That's yep. true. That's true. Yeah, make it as easy for the kids as possible. And then uh, later in Star Fox Adventures, they added Crystal. But I never played Star Fox Adventures, so I don't know what type of animal Crystal is. I'm going to guess that kind of like how they always add a female character to go with the male lead, that Crystal is probably another fox. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she is. (laughs) Wait for the angry letter to confirm my hypothesis. So Star Fox is she the first... She is another fox, by the way. I just looked it up to double check. It, she she looks very much like a Sonic the Hedgehog fox. Like, she's the same color, basically, as Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. she's a fox. Kind of a bluish purple, yeah. Yeah. Nice. So Star Fox was the first international 3D game made by Nintendo. Um, it was made possible by the Super FX chip. I don't know if you guys remember the advertisements about the Super FX chip. Uh, one I of the don't. great things about the Super Nintendo or Nintendo's earlier cartridge video game systems is if the hardware was lacking something they wanted to do, they could just include it in the cartridge and add it onto the system. That's true. So the like Super the FX Rumble chip packs was... and all that that they did with the sixty four. Yes, exactly. The expansion or, slot, um, yeah. Rumble Pack, which I'll get to later, because that was introduced with Star Fox as well. Oh, really? Yeah, so everything with Star Fox um, in its development, Star Fox was a game that it doesn't have a lot of titles because it was almost always developed by third-party companies, and it was usually tied to concepts they wanted to bring to the council. And then Star Fox was kind of the experimental title of what they, how they delivered it. Oh, gotcha. interesting. So, the Super FX chip allowed for graphics acceleration. Uh, without the Super FX chip, the hardware itself was only capable of three frames per second when rendering 3D. Wow. 
So um, the Super FX chip allowed it to do true 3D at uh, 30 frames per second. Before Super FX, if they wanted to show 3D, like so for Super Mario World, which looks very much like their 3D sprites, uh, are actually 2D and they drew them from every possible angle. Oh, God. Holy cow. And it took up a lot lot more memory and it made the game production time last like months longer, if not years longer. Oh, so man. utilizing the Super FX chip with Star Fox, they were able to make uh, 3D polygons for the sprites, and then they could insert them into the game, and they had every angle covered as things moved around it. All that from obeying okay. your thirst. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so with Star Fox, um, they still wanted to keep, uh, even though they had the ability of rendering in 3D, they weren't quite ready for what we saw in the 64 with the open world environments. So they mm-hmm. still had to rein it in, and that's where the concept of a fighter pilot on rails came from. Even though uh, it is in 3D, you are still forced to propel forward. You can't mm-hmm. move around the environment. Some other games that came out shortly after to utilize this were Yoshi's Island. I don't know if you guys ever played that. Oh, yeah, yep. I remember that. No, I don't think I did, but it sounds but familiar. It was... Uh, It was a big step forward in terms of gaming technology, and Nintendo was really the first one in the bank. The whole uh, 3D engine was actually developed um, originally for the Game Boy, believe it or not. Uh, There was a game called X that was only released in Japan, which is very similar to Star Fox in some ways. And that was the first game to actually truly be 3D. But Star Fox was the first game to bring it international attention. And believe it or not, the game is not that popular in Japan. Really? I would have thought this would have been right up the like Japanese gaming alley. Internationally, huge success. And the characters were popular, but the game itself didn't sell that well. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. But everywhere else, Star Fox was a huge success, which led to the first public game tournament that I remember seeing outside of the blockbuster tournaments that were kind of localized to your local area. Mm -hmm. Um, Nintendo came up with what they called Super Star Fox Weekend. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nintendo sent a special competition cartridge to stores carrying NES games, and they set up kiosks. And this was a modified version of the game with uh, time li- or that was time limited with a bonus level. So basically, you had four minutes to get as far as you could, and players with the high score at the end of each day received a special edition Star Fox poster. Oh wow, that's oh, nice. cool! What year did you, did you say this was? This would have been ninety three. Okay. 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 So if I remember correctly, we were in second grade, approaching third. Yeah, that would be right. So I vividly remember the posters. I didn't get to play in it, but I like remember the advertising for it. And I remember being super excited about Star Fox, although while I rented it enough times to wear out the cartridge at Ion Video, I never owned the original Star Fox. Oh, okay. I don't know if I've ever actually played the original Star Fox. I've definitely played the Star Fox 64 many times, but yeah, I don't. We never had an a NES at home, or an SNES for that matter. Like We started with Atari, and then we made the quantum leap to Sega Genesis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you were a Genesis person as opposed to a Nintendo person, you really got more for your buck, because Genesis was one of those systems that 
Where, as I said earlier, the joy of a cartridge-based console is you could add on stuff to it. Sega's philosophy, I mean, Sega ran the Genesis for like an 11 or 12-year run. Mm-hmm. Because then they came out with Sega CD, which plugged into it. They had yeah, we the had add-on 30, chips that... Yeah, we had a 32X, actually. I think it's my yep. brother still has the, the Genesis and the 32X, which was a, a console that plugged into the top of yep. your genesis which allowed you to run things at 32 bits as opposed to 16 bits you could yep we actually had doom on the sega genesis and we had other games oh, that would nice. take a lot more computing power than what was capable on the the standard genesis at the time yeah i always have to give sega credit they were really innovators and they it's always a, it's i they waited too long to make the move to the dreamcast i think but the Genesis run is definitely noteworthy because that system stayed alive up until the early 2000s, if I remember correctly. And, I mean, they had internet play with Sega Channel long before it was available on any other system. I think they even beat the PS2 to internet play. Wow. wow. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I'm because trying to you could subscribe to the Sega Channel and you get the adapter and then you could play streamed games off of the internet that would change monthly for a subscription. Man, that's amazing. Because yeah, I'm trying to remember what the last uh, Sega Genesis release would have been. Because I feel like you're right that it would have been really close to the turn of the century. Actually... <laughs> it, I feel so old to hear you say that. Yeah. <laughs> um... Well, they had Sega CD releases going into 2000. I know that for sure. Yeah, because I remember there was Comic Zone came out in the late 90s. Uh, Vector Man and Vector Man 2 both came out in the late 90s. I, I, I'm trying to remember if anything came out after 2000. I'm sure things must have. I just can't I can't remember. And trying to do this on the fly while we're trying to do a podcast is probably not the best podcasting. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. so, you, so you were saying in 1993, they were doing yep. these Star Fox... Super Fox Weekend. Yep. Yeah. Super Star Fox Weekend with the Star Fox official competition cartridge. If you were a Nintendo Power subscriber privi- previous to the tournament, you could order that cartridge for $40 to practice. If oh, you nice. have one of those cartridges today, which I believe there's uh, less than 1000 in circulation, they go on eBay for around $800. Holy cow. Jeez. So if you're sitting on a gold mine, I'm just letting you know that it might be time to dust that out because it's a game you can only play for four minutes, but I bet you can spend, you know, you might be able to spend $800 faster than four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Please post your results on our website. <laughs> yes. <laughs> With the outstanding success of Star Fox internationally, uh, Star Fox 2 went into the works almost right away. Um, Star Fox 2 was hyped by gaming magazines, including Nintendo Power, and it was going to be one of the console-defining titles. The problem was is it was slated for 95-96 release, which was getting in really close to the launch of the Nintendo 64. Uh, right. PlayStation, uh, lo- uh, the next-gen PlayStation launch was looming, and so without warning... Nintendo just pulled the plug on it. They never made an announcement. The game just flat out never came out. Hmm. 
And even though there were full playable demos that had been circulated, the game was completed and uh, it looked like it was going to be awesome. It, one of the big features of Star Fox 2 was the R-Wing, which is the ship that you flew in. Uh, the wings could bend down and it could make like an AT-AT walker. So it had the first on-the-ground missions. Mm-hmm. Yep, I do remember that. But... Believe it or not, in 2017, with the release of the SNES Classic, Nintendo made the decision to sell Star Fox 2 as part of the SNES Classic. So the game finally did get released a uh, full 24 years after its... Uh, no, it would have been... Tw- uh, yeah, 24 years after its intended release date. Jeez, that's oh, crazy. Wow. And <laughs> was it released as a separate title, or was it released as like like bonus features, essentially? It was released as a separate title on the SNES Classic. So, uh, much like with the Nintendo Classic, it's a small standalone box with HDMI out. You plug into the TV, and it has, uh, like, best of games available for that system. Gotcha, guys. I really like the idea of the SNES Classic and the Nintendo Classic. What I hate is they give you no ability to update it without, you know, breaking the terms of service. Um, right. The games that are on it are the only games that you're going to get, and your only other options to play classic games from Nintendo is with owning the, the cartridges. Of, what's that? Is owning the cartridges correct? Owning the well, the cartridges only work with the original hardware. The new, uh, the classic systems that they release do not have oh. um, do not have the ability to play original cartridges. Because really, I have a Sega like classic or sega emulator whatever it's called and it's it looks like a sega genesis but it's about half the size and it has a slot in the top i've never tried the actual cartridges but i'm assuming that they would work in there because similarly it has about 40 games or something built into it so i can play sonic the hedgehog or shinobi or you know stuff like that the the big classic titles for the platform so yeah um So this is, again, Sega knowing their audience and knowing how to make hardware better. And because Sega did that release, people are still making Sega games to this day. No Uh, kidding. In fact, there was actually just a new Sega title released around Christmas time that you can buy full cartridge and have it mailed. Really? And there are are third-party companies that are making Super Nintendos that can do the cartridges. But I would imagine that you'd still be able to put the cartridges in that slot. I guess I've never tried. But yeah, it's it, like you mentioned with the Nintendo Classic, it has games built in. So I, I guess I would be curious to see if you could still use like the old NES or Super NES cartridges in, in the system. Nope. Uh, the, uh, the Both the Nintendo Classic systems have no ports on them, and they're smaller. And the only oh. games you can play with them are the games that are built in. There are you can find if you do a Google search, you can find people that have been able to update them and copy games to it. But hmm. there is no avenue to play the original cartridge. Really? Now there are third-party no companies wow. that make systems. In fact, there is a system called Archon, and it can take a 64 cartridge, an SNES cartridge, and an NES cartridge, and you can play it with the same god-awful controller. <laughs> yeah, and there's they, actually they there's run actually a store. Bucks. Yeah, there's a there's a store uh, at the mall down here where I live that sells retro games. Like I, I think I actually talked to you guys while I was there, or the like right after I got back from there the first time because I was like, oh my god, this is amazing! They sell like the original Genesis games, the Nintendo sixty four games, yeah, like all the Game uh, Boy games and stuff like that. 
But they actually had, like, in the back on the wall, they had a system that looked like it took cartridges from at least three different systems that you could play. Yep. No, it's definitely an awesome time to be into retro gaming. There's whole conventions now where people just get together and play retro games. Oh, that's awesome. Although I have to imagine what retro gaming must have looked like 20 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) That was a marble, sir. Yeah, exactly. They they have their jacks competition. Although I (laughs) forgot all about that. (laughs) (laughs) I would definitely show up to a convention, though, where they busted out the Lincoln Logs and just said, have fun. And, you know, you could always (laughs) have enough corner pieces to keep building a little bit higher. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. What was the uh, the other thing? Um, it was like Lincoln Logs. It was like the the midway between Lincoln Logs and Connects. Um, they were like. Oh. I can see called? it. Yeah, there was like round. Like starts with a P, right? I don't remember. Was it? Uh, you're not talking about like an erector set, right? No, because no. those were metal. These were These the wooden. Oh, they oh, had they wooden were ones, and then they had yeah. plastic ones too. Like as. As we got into the 90s, they wanted to make sure the kids didn't break them and stab each other with, uh, you know, wooden <laughs> shanks. Wood pieces, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, what were those called, damn it? We're going we're gonna to take this discussion offline. I was going to say, if, we're going to have to wrap back If any of our uh, listeners know what the hell we're talking about, uh, please email us uh, at... Uh, Dating ourselves podcast at AOL.com. We would uh we would really or love send us to... a message on the book face. Yes. It's yes. gonna hit me at three AM and I'm gonna call you, Brian, and tell you. <laughs> so Star back Fox. to Star Fox. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Star Fox. I forgot what we were talking about for Do a minute. Roll. <laughs> so Star Fox uh, is a game that it was much of the titles because it was always pushing the envelope from a hardware perspective was almost always developed by a third party company with Nintendo backing uh, Argonaut Industries in the case of the Super FX chip. Not counting the reboots, the remakes, and the canceled projects, because like I said moments ago before we went off on a tangent, Star Fox 2 was completely canceled and never officially released until 2017 because they wanted to shift full gears to the Nintendo 64 release to compete with the upcoming next-gen consoles. Um, but fair. yeah, not counting the reboots, the remakes, and the canceled project, Star Fox actually only has four main games to its credit. Every really? other game is a remake or a one-off made specifically for some handheld. No kidding. So there, Never would have guessed that. As far as uh, official releases, there's the original Star Fox for the SNES. The next game to actually come out was the Star Fox 64, which was what brought Rumble Pack to the Nintendo 64. If you yeah, wanted a Rumble that was Pack... Pretty cool, yeah. If you wanted a Rumble Pack, you had to buy Star Fox 64. It wasn't until like six months later that they were sold individually. Mm-hmm. Uh, some will argue that artificially boosted the sales of the game, although I think Star Fox 64 is a pretty solid game. Yeah, I think so yeah. too. I know it's got a great player base because um, they've rebooted it and re-released it three times. It came out for uh, the 3DS with a 3D remake. Nice. Um, it came out for the Wii U as a classic console. You could get it on the original Wii as a classic console game with the multiplayer support. Oh, cool. So it's definitely still has a player base to this day because it keeps coming back out. Yeah. And it, it was a fun game. That was actually the first entry into the Star Fox series that I ever played. Uh, Same. I had never heard I had never heard of the original. 
I never owned the Star Fox 64, but every year on Christmas Eve, we always used to go over, we, we had a party that we'd go to at a family friend's house and their kids were all about my age or our age or a little older and they had Star Fox 64 and that was the first time I'd ever played that game. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. Like I really enjoyed the gameplay and the graphics at the time were unbelievable. It was like amazing to have that like level of detail in a 3D game like that. Cause you know, before that it was basically your little 16 bit or 8 bit games from the Sega Genesis and Nintendo and all that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, similarly, that was my first Star Fox title as well. We, we owned the game. Uh, my brother played it a lot more than I did, but kind of like I mentioned before, not having a NES or SNES, um, we never really. Um, you know, I, I was aware of Star Fox's existence, and I remember seeing it at like the demo stations at like Target or for those from the Midwest, Meyer used to have the video game Ooh, stations yeah. in their electronics section, but I can't uh, recall ever playing it. But I think there's something really cool and distinctly different about having a game that is like a first-person shooter type game and something that is on the rails. Because I think you focus on different things in a game that has a, a platform like that. Um, I, don't yeah. I don't necessarily think it's like, a oh, it's a fault of not having the technology existing yet. Because I think you could still make a game like Star Fox that's entertaining and it's entertaining mm-hmm. because you're trying to complete certain things before you can't go back and ever do them again. Yes. Yeah. And Star Fox 64 did a very good switch between the two because a lot of the boss fights, it would open it up and it would take you off the rails and you could have full movement to complete an objective. But the main missions, in order to keep you focused on the target, were always on rails. And I thought they did a really good job with a mix of that. Yeah, yeah. And, like, it was cool, too, because you had a little bit of freedom. Like, it still kept you on the rails in that whatever your range of vision was on the screen, you were kind of kept within that for the most part. Uh, but you could still move, like, around, like, there, you know, you'd have to, like, move around buildings that were falling uh, in some, you know, like, there was the... I can't remember the name of the city, but it was in, like, the first mission. There was a city that you go to, like, Cordera City or something like that. Yeah. And uh, there's, like, buildings falling over and, you know, bridges that you have to avoid and stuff like that. And so you could kind of have a little bit more freedom of moving around the screen, even though you were still held on the rails to an extent. But it was more kind of like those uh, rail cars at... Michigan Adventures, where you can kind of move a little bit to the left, move a little bit to the right, but you're still kind of stuck on that track. Right. Yeah, you still have to progress forward. You can't go backwards. Right, right. Unless you're Ozzy Osbourne, and then you go off the rails of the crazy train, and, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Two of my favorite things about Star Fox 64 is it was the first game that I can recall where you could switch between first person and third person view, depending on your preference. Yes. You could switch to an in-the-cockpit view if that was your preference and then Mm -hmm. fly it more like a traditional flight simulator or you could have the exterior view of the R-Wing and you could have more of a grasp of what was around you. 
Mm-hmm. And depending on the mission, sometimes it was beneficial to switch between the two. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to uh, say is that there was not necessarily one particular one that I was 100% of the time always in because, especially if you were like fighting a boss or something like that, it it made it much more easy to see what was around you if you did it from outside the cockpit, you know, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. from a third person perspective. Did you guys have a preference, um, like 90% of the time, if you did the first person or the third person uh, point of view? I was always first person. I would switch to third for the boss fights because that's where it was opened up and you needed to be able to see what was coming at you or behind you when you were doing your barrel mm-hmm. roll or doing the uh, flip around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. What about you, Adam? Uh, I was mostly third person, um, just because that's what I was used to at the time. Uh, like, like you said, it was one of the first games that ever introduced being able to fly like first person in the cockpit, and, and I liked it. But uh, I liked first person. But what I noticed, or maybe it was just something with me or whatever, but I always noticed that the controls always seemed a little bit more touchy in first person. So that was always really hard because you had to be a lot more precise about how you were doing things. So I always preferred third person because it gave you a little bit more wiggle room if, like, when you were trying to make a turn or move up or down, it gave you a little bit more, I I guess, precise control over that. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I always was, whenever possible, I would usually do the third person as well. And I think for me, being inside the cockpit, because of the way that the graphics weren't quite where they are nowadays you know it was still very early in this type of gameplay mm-hmm. if you were to do something like a barrel roll or make a really quick turn or something like that it could get really disorienting whereas yeah. if you were third person you did a barrel roll like the horizon was still in the exact same spot you know it didn't like flip the mm-hmm. entire screen with you while you did it um right it was almost kind of like if you were watching somebody play like wolfenstein on an old pc it's uh you kind of get motion sickness because you're not the one controlling it. <laughs> and yeah, that's kind of how I yeah. felt like if I was in the cockpit. It's like, oh, gosh, well, that's too much motion I... and too many big pixels and big polygons. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I felt, too, with uh, there was a game. It's one of my all time favorite Star Wars games. It actually probably is my favorite Star Wars game to ever come out for the 64. It was Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. And mm-hmm. one of the missions that you did with that was you actually flew the Battle of Hoth oh, uh, with yes. those little snow speeders or whatever. And the reason I loved that was because, just like with Star Fox, you could switch to the first-person view, to the cockpit view. And you when you were doing that mission where you had to bring down the AT-AT with the cables, it was really nice to be able to switch to the first-person view because... Your movements were a lot quicker. Like like I mentioned earlier, you know, you could be more precise in third person, but needing to be able to weave in and out of the legs of the AT-AT and all the other stuff flying around you, it was really nice to be able to get into first person view in certain situations like that where you needed a little bit more quick reaction time. But most of the time, I couldn't do it just because, like, you'd just slightly press up and you're... Your nose would go straight down. All of a sudden, you're on the, you're hitting the ground, going 800 miles per hour. I've always wondered if, in any of those like uh, tech or marketing meetings, there's been like an intern that suggested second person point of view in one of those games. Like, imagine if you're like looking from the nose 
of the craft back at the pilot. Wouldn't that be cool? The you could see the pilot is looking at the back of your head. <laughs> you could just watch Star Fox and his expressions the whole time. Wouldn't that be cool? It's like, well, until you hit an asteroid or something, that would really suck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be hilarious. That's why we don't pay you, intern. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys remember that Star Fox 64 had two endings? No, I had no idea. So there are two paths, or there are multiple paths you can take throughout the game, which was true of the original too. You could select your missions um, at the title screen and choose which planet you were going to go to next. And you could essentially skip missions. Well, with Star Fox, there were two different points at which you could defeat Andross. And one was considered to be the true ending of the game, which was much harder. And then there was one that was considered to be the easy ending, depending on which path you chose. And you would actually fight Andross in two different areas. Oh, really? I never knew that until years later, and I've never personally done it, but I thought that was really cool that they would have something like that included in the Nintendo game. Yeah, yeah, um, that sounds like it was probably one of the first games where it would have had, like, a alternate ending depending on choices you made or whatever, because mm-hmm. I can't remember that being in any other games yeah. before I mean, that time. Kid Chameleon kind of had like different routes you could take, but from what I remember, it was more or less the, the same ending regardless of what you did. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's interesting. No, I didn't, I don't know if I've ever actually beaten that game when I was like, I you know, 12 years old, other than maybe like GoldenEye and a couple other games, I always just played it for fun. Where like my brother, he would get up at like five o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and start playing a game so he could play it the whole way through. I was, yeah, I like the stuff and the things and doing the stuff <laughs> with the things. As I've gotten older, I've gone back and tried to learn how to beat a lot of these games. Mm-hmm. But yeah, at the time, I don't know if I've ever actually seen what the ending of Star Fox 64 is, much less the alternate ending. Yeah, I agree with you there. I, if a game had a multiplayer, I almost never 100%ed the game. Because mm-hmm. I, I would just start playing with friends. And like Goldeneye, I did eventually beat it, but I was motivated by the fact that I wanted to unlock stuff for the multiplayer. Yeah, because you right. could, a lot of those cheat codes you couldn't get without beating certain beating levels in a certain amount of time. Yeah. Yep. Well, and I, I always wanted to beat Goldeneye because I loved those kind of puzzle style games where even though it was a first person shooter, there was still a lot of strategy and figuring things out as you went in the game. And so that like that challenge is always what drove me to want to finish the game. But outside of that, like outside of Goldeneye, I think the only other game around that time that I ever like 100% completed was the Mission Impossible game, mm-hmm. which was another really good game and highly underrated for a Nintendo 64 game, but that's for another time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> So after Star Fox 64, then on the GameCube, there was a game that was about to come to fruition called Dinosaur Planet, and it was canceled mid-development. And (laughs) tasked with needing a Christmas release, they cobbled together a game called Star Fox Adventures, but it's really Dinosaur Planet with Star Fox characters. And that was the game that you played mostly on foot, and you had tank missions and solo combat missions and very few plane missions. Yeah, I I remember that. 
And um, and if it, you're if you feel like it didn't feel like a Star Fox game, that's because it wasn't a Star Fox game. It was Dinosaur Planet, and they added the Star Fox characters to it to finish it. <laughs> so um, I don't count that in the in my four titles of the true Star Fox projects, just because it wasn't intended to be a Star Fox project, and it hasn't really stood the test of time as far as player base. Okay. Yeah, uh, I always found it interesting when video game companies decide to take those really, in my opinion, kind of crazy leaps to completely change the platform of a game. Like I remember in the late 90s, Mortal Kombat was probably the biggest fighting game there was on the market, even more so than Street Fighter or Tekken, I would argue. Um, oh, absolutely. And then out of nowhere, they're like, you know what would be really cool? What if we did a side-scroller platform game starring Sub-Zero? <laughs> and and it'll be like Sub Zero is like Shinobi. It's like why would you do that? Like I don't even understand. Like you have a formula that works. Nobody's interested in having like having go through an adventure where he has to climb a rope swing or something. Like that. that. So we I mean, played it though. I did. Apparently, I did. I apparently, did. I'm the only one that would have been interested in a game like that because I've always wanted them to make some sort of game using the. Mortal Kombat characters, but not in a traditional like player versus player fu- uh, combat game. Like I would, I always wanted a game where you could actually do like a you know a third person adventure game with Sub Zero or with Raiden or something like that. Apparently, I'm in the minority on that one. <laughs> well, they've made a couple of them. None of them did very well, but they exist. Yeah, I actually think maybe you and me, Paul, one time rented one from Ion Video and played that at my parents' house? Could be. I remember there was one with Liu Kang and it was like Mongol Adventures or something weird like that. Yeah. I forget. There's just so many Mortal Kombat characters. I would find it really interesting if they did one for like every single one of them. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Follow Cabal around, you know? See what he's up to with his... uh... Night Wolf. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But... Dinosaur Planet, or Star Fox Adventures, was followed up with a sequel called Star Fox Assault, which I know nothing about and found very little information about, so I don't think it performed very well. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Um, The next big release, which was a true blue Star Fox title, was Star Fox Command, but it was only for Game Boy. It did have online multiplayer, though, and that was the first Star Fox game to have online multiplayer. Oh, nice. So it was a DS... DSi release somewhere in there. Gotcha. And then the huh. first true Star Fox game to come out in over a decade was Star Fox Zero for the Wii U. Oh, okay. And then Star Fox 2. <laughs> <laughs> Did a little out of order. <laughs> but I mean, it's not like the franchise didn't get love in between there because they were all characters in Super Smash Brothers. Um, yep. They're skewed throughout the Nintendo universe, and I think the characters are more beloved than the games themselves, but... um, I would say that's probably accurate, yeah. Star Fox 3D gets an honorable mention. That was the Star Fox 64 remake for the 3DS. Mm. Oh, I didn't even know they made that. So, hmm. But uh, I think that pretty much sums up what I have for the troubled tale of Star Fox and its four games that we all remember as many more. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, no <laughs> yeah I, never, uh, I never thought it was like at the level of zelda with how many games that has or definitely not mario but yeah i definitely thought it would have been at least like seven or eight yeah especially for how long it's been around i mean it's been around for 25 years now oh yeah absolutely hmm. and i think all the player base is still playing star fox 64 yeah probably <laughs> probably <laughs> All right, well, I guess that wraps up our discussion on Star Fox, the series. Now we are moving on to Nostalgia Combat! Nostalgia Combat! Yes, I have devised a trivia question for my co-host to answer. Whoever is closest will get to lead their chat next week. Adam has the 1992 Dream Team, and Brian yeah. has Bill Nye the Science Guy. Inertia You're going is down. a property I got of me plus like 11 people. <laughs> <laughs> you got two, Brian. <laughs> you guys ready? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. All right. We all remember the Disney animated classic Fantasia. Mm-hmm. Okay. We remember this from our childhood because of the re-release in 1991 where they restored it and released it to theaters, which is why I am using that as a loophole for it to still count I say, in <laughs> our years for the podcast. I say, it came out like in the 40s or 50s from what I remember. <laughs> I hope you remember that answer because guess what? Oh, no. <laughs> if it was re-released and restored in the version that we remember from 1991, how many years has it been since the original Fantasia release? Oh. Between between the original release in 91 or between the original release and today? And today, because I did my math wrong. <laughs> oh, so so when, when the Fantasia was originally released and what year it is today, uh, 2018... That, yes. That, so the yeah. difference okay. between the how two. How many from the, right now? How many years has it been since the original Fantasia release? Brian, <laughs> I'm gonna say seventy-two. Okay. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say seventy-six. The correct answer is seventy-eight. So I am going to have to give it to Adam. Whoa. Oh! Fun yeah. I'm like that guy on <laughs> The Price is Right. <laughs> what, what, what was your response? I'm going to go one higher. <laughs> you at least went a few higher. I really thought that's what you were going to do. But I'm going to go with 73. <laughs> I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it, and that's why it took me a second. I was like, what's a non-jerk way to do that? <laughs> See, I thought you were going to go with 69, and you didn't want to like look like a total like perv. So... <laughs> Uh, so I knew it right. was old, but I, I hope you guys are okay that I included it because my thought process oh, yeah. was we yeah. were introduced to it when it came, came back as the restored version in 1991. And so. there was a Fantasia 2000 as well that had other songs from the same time period that were yes. redone. So I, I would definitely allow it. I would definitely allow it. All right. So there you have it. I will be guiding us gingerly down the trail of the 1992 Dream Team next time. Uh, Brian <laughs> still has the topic of Bill Nye, the science guy, in his pocket. And now we need to visit the hopper of imagination. Don't get in the hopper! Exactly. We need to get Paul a new topic. So let's hop on over. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> oh, boy. 
<laughs> While Brian readies the hopper, we want to remind all of our listeners, if there's a topic you'd like to hear us discuss, you can submit those at our website at datingourselvespodcast.com. Yeah. Great. All right. So as before, I have three topics that each fall into different categories. So I'm going to share those three categories with Paul. He's going to pick a category and I will tell him what topic he will have for, um, well, not for next time, but you know what I mean. He'll have it for uh, when he has his next For the next time he discussion. gets picked. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so your options, sir, are pop culture uh, trends and fads. Ooh. Shared life experience or food and beverage. Hmm. I'm torn because we haven't done a food and beverage in a long time, but that can also be a really scary thing. Lifesaver soda comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, Do you guys remember Lifesaver soda? Nope. <laughs> All right, that's our discussion. Ah, even a little. <laughs> yeah, someone submitted go- it. I'm going to go with shared life experience and hope that it's not, you know, something that I've never experienced. <laughs> I think, I think well, you'll then be... it wouldn't be a shared life experience. That's right. Well, I think, I think that you'll be okay with this one as a human having to, um, you know, get your nutrients from outside your own body instead of through photosynthesis. The shared life experience that Paul will now have is the debate between hot school lunch and cold bag lunch. So, yes. Oh, yes. So very, very yes. fun and exciting topic uh, that often involved trading different items, food fights. I mean, this could go in a million different directions. So I think it's a pretty exciting <laughs> topic. So next time, please check us out where we're chatting about the 1992 Dream Team with Adam. And then uh, find out whether or not I'm going to lead a discussion on Bill Nye the Science Guy or Paul's going to lead a topic on hot lunch and cold lunch um, for upcoming <laughs> episodes. Thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, This is Dating Ourselves. And if you like what you heard, there's more to come. You can check us out at www.datingourselvespodcast.com to learn more about us and the show. And you can check out our Contact Us tab if you'd like to submit your own nostalgic topics. You can also send us submissions by emailing us at datingourselvespodcast at aol.com. We've got mail. Yeah, we do. Yes, we do. In addition to iTunes, you can also find us on TuneIn Radio, Google Music, and wherever podcasts are downloaded. And now I'm going to offer a service for just the low, low price of $9.99. I will whisper the podcast into your ear as you're going to bed at night. (laughs) In a sultry tone. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, To quote Reservoir Dogs, I think I'd go over 10% for that. Uh, and one easy payment, folks. That's that's pretty terrific. Uh, <laughs> yep. For all episodes, the entire backlog. You got it. You got it. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> you do have to give Adam your uh, your home address and security code to get into your house. But <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, we have additional content as well on Facebook at www.facebook.com/slash/datingourselvespodcast. We're on Instagram at datingourselvespodcast, and you can find tweets on Twitter at dated podcast and remember if you're too old for snapchat and too young for life alert you've just been dated see you guys bye